welcome to the weekly sermon podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. So you have no ownership in any of this? I didn't steal her identity. She gave me her social. Do you have 17 credit cards and you, you said you just throw the bills away when they come in? Yeah. That's theft. Oh, okay. What makes you think you're entitled to use somebody else's money? Why not? So you're just a criminal they haven't caught yet? I guess. Okay, well, that's nice because you're on national television right now and you're confessing <laughs> to these crimes. Yeah. And you say she's playing the victim because she's let you get away with this, she's right? She's crying right now for no reason. So you shove a fish sandwich in your mother's <laughs> mouth? I mean, I threw a pizza at her too. Tell me how that's flattering to you. I mean, she should have ate faster. It's eaten, not ate. Did you sell your fifth grade grammar book? <laughs> well, so right now, your current debt, you have $20,493 in outstanding on closed credit cards, $3,139 outstanding on open credit cards, $1,347 overdrawn at the bank. Oh, y'all researched me. That's cute. That's a total of $24,979.22. That's not that much. So do you have it to pay? Uh, no. I can go get a job, and I can pay all this off. Uh-huh. It's not that much. Why do you think you did that? Because I can. I could. Yeah. But if you had a second chance, you would do better. Probably, yes. When they bought you a Ford Focus, why was that not okay? It was ugly. It was a gift. It's an ugly gift. So they replaced it with an Infinity. Yes. That wasn't okay either. It was old. And you pawned your mother's heirloom jewelry. Correct. They were ugly. They, they were weren't very yours. Sentimental. What? They were very sentimental. My mother's mother's wedding band set that I had admired since I was a little girl. She's wearing my earrings right now. No, she lost these in the pawn shop. I went to the pawn shop and purchased them out of the case, and I wear them now. So... <laughs> so, if I have here a check from the Dr. Phil Show, on City Trust and Savings Bank for $24,979.22, your total indebtedness. If I give you this check to hit the reset button and start over. I would go to school. You would go to school. Mm-hmm. Because that would get you out of debt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, that ain't happening. So, what do you think about that young lady? I mean, about the best thing you could say about her is she's spoiled. I mean, that would be hitting top of the mark. 
Outside of the fact there's probably something pathologically wrong with her just from her affect and everything, she certainly has a strong sense of entitlement. And whatever is going on between her ears, one thing is for sure, it hadn't made her a very attractive person, right? She is not somebody that any mama would be proud of or any daddy either as far as that's concerned. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is how to become a horrible, bad, no-account person. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Father God, for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your spirit. We pray, Father God, that your word would be alive, that your spirit would be present. Father God, that you would drive this message deep down into our hearts. Lord God, if there are some who are walking very close to a dark place, that Lord God, you would get a hold of them and pull them up this morning. Lord, I lift it to you today in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, let's, um, let's speculate a little bit on how this girl got to be the way she was. Well, what are some of your thoughts? How did she, how did she get to be how she was? All right, somebody said parents. All right, she's given everything that she wanted. I think all of that's true. She was, uh, she was spoiled, and she was enabled, and that is certainly a very important part of the truth about her, and I don't think you can erase any of that. However, does every spoiled, enabled child grow up to be that kind of person? They don't. Truth of the matter is, Maybe not too many of us, I don't know, I hope not too many of us. I'm not sure we'll be able to say that about the next generation. But probably a few of us grew up spoiled. But I hope, even if our parents spoiled us and enabled us and shielded us and patted our corner, that we are not yet like her, where we just don't simply have any concern about other people. So... Uh, something more than just a soft upbringing is going on here in this girl's life. And I think one of the terms that we're going to need to understand this morning is the term entitled. That term is thrown around a lot. Let me give you two or three definitions. One of them comes from the Cambridge Dictionary. Entitled is the feeling that you have the right to do or have what you want without having to work for it or deserve it just because of who you are. So in other words, you get to say or do anything that you want to do, and it's perfectly okay because after all, it's you. That's, that's what it's saying. The Oxford Dictionary says, believing oneself to be inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. You don't have to do things the way everybody else does them because you're special. The Wiktionary says, demanding and pretentious, Convinced of one's own righteousness or the justifiability of one's own actions or status, especially wrongly so. In other words, you feel like you can say anything or do anything, and actually you can't, but you feel that you should be able to anyway. So that's what entitled means. So let's, let's make some assumptions. Let's assume that the girl has in fact been spoiled, because I believe that to be the case. And let's suppose that she's been enabled by her parents. And let's further suppose that she was never disciplined, that she could have whatever she wanted whenever she wanted it, that whenever she acted up, that she was never corrected, that, that basically, however her calculus was of life, whatever she thought life should be like, 
that for the most part, that's what life was like. If she asked mom and daddy for something, she received that something. If she got in trouble, she didn't experience the consequences for it. And what this did is it created a pattern in her life. A pattern where her expectations were always met. A pattern where she always expected the world to look and behave just like she thought it should, and the world did so. And so she got used to that. She got used to that good pattern and just nothing but what she considered good, right? Not your definition of good and my, my definition of good, but her definition of good. She got used to this pattern of her definition of good just flowing, flowing, flowing constantly into her life until one day it didn't. Now, I don't know what day that was. It may be the day that she uh, turned down that Ford Focus for her, from her mom and dad and said, I don't want this car. It's ugly. I insist on a Mercedes-Benz. Maybe they didn't get a one. Maybe at 15 years old, she demanded a credit card and because some of her friends maybe had a credit card. And her mom and dad said, no, I don't think you're ready for a credit card. But something interrupted the flow of that goodness into her life. And it began to cause her to ask questions. Why not? Why can't I have a Mercedes Benz? And by the way, on another video, she really wants one. Why can't I have a Mercedes Benz? Why can't I have a credit card? Why can't I have a this or a that? My friends have one. So why are my parents all of a sudden now not letting me have what I want? And she begins to ask all of these questions. And then as these questions begin to process, she actually begins to harbor a grievance. You know what I'm talking about? It goes from just asking why not to saying, well, this ain't fair. This is not fair. I mean, my other friends drive. My friends don't drive Ford Focuses. My other friends have. This is not fair. Why are my mom and dad treating me this way? And then from grievance, she moves one step further to the place where she says, you know what? I'm not going to put up with this. If my mom and dad won't get me a credit card, then I'll get mama's social security number, which is exactly what she did. I don't know if y'all missed that right at the first of the video. I'll get my mama's social security card, and I'll get my own credit cards, which she did, 17 of them. And so in that process, she moved into being a very ugly, unattractive person. And so the process, guys, goes like this. Good things flow into your life. Those good things flowing into your life nurture a sense of entitlement. It doesn't mean that, that people who have good things flowing into their life always become entitled, but sometimes they do. And, and so this sense of entitlement causes you to expect those good things to flow into your life without interruption. And when something interrupts those good things flowing into your life, you begin to ask questions about why did this happen? Why is my husband saying no about this? Why is my boss treating me like this? And then you begin to ask those questions, and those questions become a grievance. And once you hit that point of grievance, you make that fateful decision that says, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this. Because after all, this is me we're talking about. I'm not going to put up with this. Whatever it is that my boss is doing or my husband is doing or my mother or my father is doing, I'm going to go, I'm going to do an end around because 
It's me, and you become an ugly and corrupt person. But here's the deal. You won't be able to see it. This girl, I often ask myself, by the way, I don't watch Dr. Phil. I clip I found, but I do watch Judge Judy. And I always have the question in my mind, why do these people go in front of her? Why do they do that? That You would think that an ounce of common sense would tell you you're going to walk off of there looking like a real idiot if you are, if you are one. And, and even if you're not, you might walk off looking like an idiot. Why would you do that? Well, it's because you become blind to it. See, when you have this, this sense of grievance and you've decided that, that anything you do is justified because of your grievance and you go out there and do it, you have this story that blinds you to how you really are. And so what has happened is you have become a corrupt person, but you can't see it. This girl has no clue how she looks and sounds to everybody else. And so this process is kind of a double whammy of moral corruption and spiritual blindness. Now, I want to put this in, con in the context of God this morning. The Bible clearly teaches us that God is good. And that's the attribute of God that I want you to be thinking about this morning. That God is good. Now, the Bible talks about God's goodness in so many places that I really didn't even know where to turn. There probably are some better places to turn than the one that I've chosen. But one of my favorite places is Psalm 136. And so if we can open our Bibles there this morning, Psalm 136. This psalm was really written for, for a responsive worship among the Israelites. Let me see if I'm going to race through the whole thing or not. I'm probably going to race through the whole thing, but I'm probably going to do it selectively. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. How do we know He's good? Because His faithful love endures forever. So give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to Him alone who does mighty miracles. Give thanks to Him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to Him who placed the earth among the waters. Give thanks to Him who made the heavenly lights, the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. And I'm intentionally skipping in the interest of time. Verse 10, give thanks to Him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. He led Israel safely through, but he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. He killed powerful kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance, a special possession to his servant Israel. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. 
He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures, endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. God is a good God. And in this passage of Scripture, you see several things in, in which God is portrayed as good. First of all, we see God's goodness in creation. It says here, going back to the early part of the psalm, it says give, in verse 4, Give thanks to Him who alone does mighty miracles. Give thanks to Him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to Him who placed the earth among the waters. And it goes on talking about creation. We see God's goodness in the very creation in which we live. This world, brothers and sisters, is almost painfully beautiful. It really, really is. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity over the years maybe to take a mountain vacation and go up into Colorado or Wyoming or, or Yellowstone or someplace like that. And, and to be in Colorado on, on one of those uh, cool winter mornings and see the clouds settled on the mountain and you look up the mountain and you see the, the mountain just covered with clouds up at the top and down below you see the streams running and everywhere in between you see the, the beautiful forest just covering everything and the beauty is absolutely awe-inspiring. Or maybe you have been one of those places where God has allowed you just to commune with nature. I go ever so often out to New Mexico fishing and it's a, a very awesome place to go particularly in the morning and I remember one morning being out on the river just about daybreak and there wasn't anybody out on this part of the river except me I was the only one there and you could hear the the birds as they awoke and everything and and I began to see a golden eagle kind of circling around overhead and all of a sudden, that sucker just kind of went into a ball, and he come down, I don't know how fast, 100 miles an hour, and hit that water about maybe 100 feet from me, and come out of there with a big trout flopping in his claws. I'm telling you, that is a miraculous time to be alive. Those are the moments that make you feel alive. God's creation so beautiful. Even West Texas is not bad. It may be flat, but it has some of the most beautiful sunrises in the world. And there's nothing like being in West Texas at night when thunderstorms are rolling in and being able to see 20 or 30 miles across the horizon and just watch those storms as they move across the landscape. God's creation is so good. God didn't have to make the world so good. You ever stop and think of that? He didn't have to make the air so fresh that it feels so good to breathe it in. He didn't have to make food taste good. He didn't have to make most of our bodily functions feel good. They could be painful as easy as they're good. Just ask any woman that's given birth to children. But most things that God has placed us in are, are, are amazingly good just from us being in His creation. This psalm goes on from talking about God's creation to His goodness from Israel. And it's talking again about His deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. How when they cried out to God that God heard them and He delivered them with, with mighty miracles. And He also talks about how God gives them the promised land. 
And sometimes when we read these verses, they don't ring very good to our modern ears because our modern ears haven't really experienced anything very bad. But if you've experienced slavery and oppression, and you've been surrounded by people who, who maybe hate you and certainly don't care if you live or die, and all of a sudden an unseen hand reaches down and takes hold of you and removes you from that place and says to you, I'm going to take you to a place to call your very own, you'll feel differently about it. There are a lot of us who take America for granted because we've always had America. We take freedom for granted because we've always had freedom. But there are people who come from other places in this world who when they get here, they kiss the good earth that they stand on in America because they know what it is like not to have a place to call their own. But America can be that place for them. So God is good to creation and God is good to His people. There's something else I want to talk about for just a moment though and it's not in this psalm. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. I want to talk about how God is not only good in creation and He's not only good to His people, but He's also good to those who aren't His people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus is teaching here, and he said, You have heard that the law says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Now, what he's telling us here is that, that God is not just good to his covenant people, but that he is good to people in general. We forget about that sometimes. You know, I suspect that at least a few of you, even though you might not admit it, probably at least a few of you sitting in this room have jerks for neighbors. Now, we haven't always had jerks for neighbors. We don't have any right now that I'm aware of, but we certainly have had in the past. And the thing of it is, if you happen to have a jerk for a neighbor, you know here, what, a week, ten days ago, we got that nice rain. I mean, this country was in drought. We seriously, desperately needed the rain. Did you know that your neighbor who is a jerk got the same rain that you got? They absolutely did, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying even undeserving people receive God's blessing. Why? Because right now God is allowing the wheat and the tares to grow on the same field. Right now He is allowing the righteous and the unrighteous to occupy this same little blue globe that we call the earth. And He is sending His blessings forth on all of them. That doesn't mean... That God doesn't allow consequences to come into the lives of those who are unrighteous. Because if you get out there and, what was it I said a week or two ago, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You get out there and play stupid games long enough, you're going to win you some stupid prizes. There are going to be consequences. Even if you're God's people, there's going to be consequences because our God is not an enabler. That's why he set this world up in such a way that if we get out too far away from his plan, we're going to be brought back by some of the consequences that I do, that, that we do. But 
Even these things, guys, are intended to draw people to God and His mercy. Or in the case of Christians, when we fall into consequences, those are intended to bring us to a place of repentance, to bring us to that place where we begin to be more holy in our living and our character begins to be more like God's. So God, to kind of sum it up, is good to almost everyone almost all the time. That's the nature of the world in which we live. And it's so true. God's goodness is so true and His goodness is so universal that it becomes like background noise. You know what I'm talking about? It's just background noise. We are so accustomed to God's goodness that we get used to it and we don't even notice that it's there. As a matter of fact, what happens is we take it for granted and we just expect it to be there. And that's why when it gets interrupted and a bad thing happens and we're running late for work and we go outside and we've got a flat tire, that's why it's such a smack in the face because God's goodness has all of a sudden been interrupted by a circumstance that we didn't anticipate. Well, listen, if God's goodness is interrupted or if God denies us something that we think that we should have, that can actually be a very dangerous time for us. I want you to think back to Adam and Eve, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole story. If you're in a connect group this week, y'all might look at this passage. Uh, there's another one I want you to look at as well, but it's found in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I think almost everybody here is probably acquainted with the simple story of Adam and Eve, how God created them, created a man and woman, and he put them in a, a garden paradise. Would you say that for Adam and Eve it was good to be placed in the Garden of Eden? Oh, I think absolutely so. Man, you're talking about a place with perfect temperature, with perfect shade, no thorns, no weeds, no thistles, no problems. I mean, not only were they not wearing clothes, they didn't need to wear clothes. I mean, everything was just that perfect. Try that on my farm, it won't work. But that's the, the, the world in which they lived. Everything was good. And God said, listen, I've provided all of this for you. And it, every bit of it's yours. Except this one thing. I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Now, I don't know when and I don't know how. But that became a question in Eve's mind for sure. And I suspect it became a question in Adam's mind. I think that we let Adam off a little bit light because he was pretty willing to partake of that fruit when his wife gave it to him. It planted this question in their minds. Why? Why? I mean, God has given us all of these good things. Why can't we have that too? And the more they thought about it, it, it kind of became a little bit of a grievance because, man, it had the best-looking fruit look on it in the whole garden. They really wanted that. And, of course, you had Satan. Anytime there's a grievance, brothers and sisters, Satan is there. He's Johnny on the spot if you've got a grievance. He will fan that flame until it is red hot, white hot even. And so Satan was there, and, and Eve, she is... She's nursing her grievance and wondering why she can't have the fruit. And she's admiring how beautiful it is. And, and Satan comes along and says, did God really say that you can't have that fruit? And Eve said, well, 
She said, we must not eat it and we may not touch it because when we do, we'll die. And Satan said, oh no, you won't die. Because God knows that whenever you eat of it, you're going to become like Him. You're going to become like God. And that really blew her grievance up. And so she said to herself, well, if that's the way it is, if that's why I can't have it, then I'm going to take it. And the brothers and sisters, at the moment she did that, that is when her and Adam became corrupt. I want to show you. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. We'll look at just a part of this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. I want you to look what happened to their character. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It said, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, watch it. It was the woman, but don't miss this part. It was the woman you gave me. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. In other words, the man immediately began, instead of, instead of being a loving partner to Eve, he became her accuser, and instead of being a worshiper of his heavenly Father, he became even an accuser of God. And Eve is in the same boat. Begin at verse 12. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. You gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent. She's pointing fingers too. The serpent deceived me, she replied. And that's why I ate it. And then the Lord God told the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. And you will crawl on your belly, groveling along as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You know there's nothing quite as beautiful as there is someone who whenever you call them to account for something that they very clearly have done, that they point to somebody else in blame. It's a corruption of character. And just as quick as Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, that's what happened to them. Uh, they, they began to have an entitlement because they could have anything they wanted in the garden. They began then to doubt God's goodness, which led to grievance, which then led to corruption. To be very honest, if we had time, we could turn over a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 4 and, and 5, and we could look at the story of Cain and Abel. And you would see the same thing playing out there where Abel gave God a sacrifice that was accepted, but Cain bought God a sacrifice that was not accepted. And when God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice, he became so grieved and so angry that his character was corrupted and he was willing to kill his brother. I'm, I've got to tell you something, guys. It is an easy trap to fall into. All it takes to fall into that trap is one major failure or one major disappointment in life. Maybe your husband or your wife leaves you. Or maybe there is a financial reversal. Or maybe you do something that blows up your career. 
life has been going good for you up to that point, but all of a sudden that goodness is interrupted. And when it's interrupted, you begin to ask these kinds of questions that we've been talking about, and it becomes a grievance. And if you act on that grievance... All of a sudden, like this young lady that we looked at on the film, you will find yourself being corrupted. The question this morning is how can we avoid that? I want you to look at Psalm 73 because I think it gives us a very clear pattern. How do we avoid this? Very, very easy trap to fall into. The vast majority of really angry and bitter people that I have encountered over the years, they have fallen into this exact trap. They feel like that life has thrown them a curve. They feel like that life has been unfair to them. They begin to ask all of these questions. They begin to doubt God's goodness. It becomes a grievance, and grievance becomes anger, and that anger corrupts their character. And if you want to know what that looks like, just drive to Dallas Monday morning. Just drive to Dallas Monday morning and you'll see it all over the freeway because that's where it lives. I want you to look at Psalm 73 and uh, we'll move through most of this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could wish for. They scoff and speak only evil, and in their pride they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent uh, for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Do you hear the grievance? If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly you put them on a slippery path and and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert Him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. So, 
Here is a man who right on the front end of this psalm admits that he almost fell from the faith. It says, verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. Why? He almost lost it. Why? Because he, he got to looking around. And he observed in his own life there were a lot of trials and a lot of troubles. He, he said, I think down around verse 15, all I have is, is pain. But I look at all of these wicked people. And their lives seem to be going very well indeed. Everything comes up roses for them. Yet I have all of these struggles. And as I look at it, being a person of God, I'm wondering where is the fairness in this. And he's beginning to nurse a grudge. In fact, if you look at verse 15, he acknowledges that had he allowed his thinking to play out, he would have become a corrupt person. He said, if I had really spoken this way to others... I would have been a traitor to your people. In other words, instead of a righteous man with a godly testimony, he would have become a corrupt man with a bad testimony. And he recognized it. So what changed his trajectory? Look at verse 16. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. What changed his trajectory is he went to a place where God's Spirit was present and God's Word was being taught. And as he went into that holy place and he began to hear the truth from God's Word, all of a sudden he was reminded of a lot of critical truths. And one of the truths that he was reminded of is that although God sends his reign on the just and the unjust right now, it's not always going to be that way. Even though God may allow the wicked to have an easy life right now, it's not always going to be that way. Indeed, God has got them on a trajectory that is going to bring about judgment in their life. And he began to recognize that. Listen, guys, there will be a time, and this is what he is saying, when God will delineate, He will make a difference between the just and the unjust, between the righteous and the wicked. Right now, as I said earlier, He's allowing the, the wheat and the, and, and the weeds to grow together, but there's going to come a time of harvest. It talks about this in Matthew chapter 25, and I don't have time to go there this morning. But Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, it's the, the, the story of the sheep and the goats. Where Jesus is going to have the sheep on his right hand. He's going to separate the goats out and put them on his left hand. And the sheep on his right are those who had the heart of God. And they saw needs and they responded to needs. And the goats are going to be those on his left who simply did not care. Guys, that truth was lost to this man in the world. And that truth will be lost to you in the world as well. But when he came to a place where he could be reminded of that truth, it changed his thinking. But there's something else that happened. Look at verse 21. He said, verse 21, Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You lead me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Guys, those are words of thanksgiving. 
He comes in and he's reminded of the truth that God is, is, is being good to everyone right now. But there will come a time of judgment. And then he's reminded that he belongs to God. And he's reminded that belonging to God brings its own privileges. One is he's comforted by God. He's led by God. He's counseled by God. He feels as though God is, is holding his hand and walking with him through life. And he begins to give thanks to God. And all of that together changed his perspective. And then all of a sudden, instead of being filled with grievances and anger, he was filled with joy and thanksgiving. I'm going to tell you something, guys. It is no accident that as you read the New Testament, there is a real emphasis on people coming together to worship God, and there is a real emphasis on thanksgiving. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful or give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for those of you who belong to Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is these are the kinds of things that keep our, our eyes focused on God's goodness. When we come together to worship God on Sunday mornings, when we sing the songs, when we hear the messages that we hear, those are reminders to us of truth. They're reminders to us of God's character and of His mercy and of His grace and of His goodness. And they encourage us. And when the Bible tells us in our private time, as we're praying or even as we're driving to work, in fact, it says in all circumstances we are to give thanks... Every time we thank God for anything, however small it may be, God, I thank you that I've got a good, reliable truck to get back and forth to work in. God, I thank you that I've got reasonably good health and I feel good today. Every time we thank Him, it keeps His goodness in focus. And it is so essential that we have some things in our life to keep His goodness in focus. Because let me tell you, the devil's running amok in the world. And the devil is not there to remind you of God's goodness. The devil is there to fan grievances in your heart. So that he can corrupt your soul. And So worship and thanksgiving are not just things that are options in the Christian life. They truly, truly are necessities. God is good. He has always been good and He always will be. We allow ourselves to doubt His goodness at our own peril. Guys, in just a second, I'm going to pray. But I would just say to you, if you're in one of those places this morning where you feel like your foot is slipping, where you begin, you're beginning to feel like you're nurturing a grievance, either against someone in your family or against God, and, and your heart's becoming dark, I want to remind you that we have people here to pray with you. We have lay pastors, white shirts, blue logos. We have ladies in blue shirts, white logos. They're here for you. Use them this morning. Don't leave this place with your foot slipping. Get encouragement. That's what we're here to do for one another. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name and we praise you and we thank you, Father God, for reminding us of the very simple, straightforward truth that you are good. You are good to the just and the unjust alike. 
you're good to us in so many ways that it just simply becomes a background noise to us. Father God, we praise you for that. We ask, Lord God, that you would not allow us to take it for granted, but that we would truly become people of worship and people of thanksgiving. Lord God, let the joyous lead this morning with a joyful heart. Let those who are nursing a grievance this morning be convicted, get the prayer that they need, and have their perspective changed that they might be pleasing in your sight. Lord God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.